Congrats to the Rams and the NFC West. Yeah. Yeah. All I'm going to say is the officials don't get involved in the game really at all. And then they get involved that many times in the last two minutes in the red zone. Dude, that's So that's what Pat McAfee said. He was just like, the officials were like, we're not involved in this game. Now mm-hmm. we got to start throwing some flags and show the world that we were paying attention. Yeah. So we're going to start chucking laundry. And, it's, and even the commentary was like, yeah, it's yeah. pretty late in the game for the first one. That's all right. So, like, one of my favorite sayings when I'm watching sports is let him play. And the refs, pretty much for the entire game, was letting, they were letting them play. And then eventually they was like, yeah. you know what? We've got to show the world we can throw the flag. So we're just going to start airing out laundry, see what happens. Did you know that over $5 trillion exchanges hands on a daily basis? That's an average of over $220 billion an hour. Now, how does this much money move every single day and why does it move the way it does? Here on Drunkenomics, two bartenders who also happen to be students at the University of Nebraska Graduate School of Business are going to sit down and drink to the global economy and try and translate it into English. So sit back, relax, pour yourself a stiff one, and have a drink with us to the comedy that is the global economy. Hi guys, and welcome back to Drunkenomics, the drinking podcast with an economics problem. I, for the sixth week in a row? I don't know, dude. Just it, just whatever, man. My longest unbroken it. streak of graciousness, I will be your more gracious host for the evening. And that makes me James Goldwater. And alongside me for his longest streak of least grace, Mr. Aaron Wong. Yeah, it kind of hurts, man. But I appreciate the... The very gracious introduction in your gracious state. It's starting to, it's feeling more normal, but I still. Yeah. Well, I you still seem a little uneasy. Well, I'll be honest with you. Um, I don't know if it's the hangover or whatever it is, but either <laughs> way, I'm glad you have a stiff one in front of you, whatever it is. Indeed. Whatever is taking the edge off. Well, yeah. No, it's, it's a little quick mixy of my own concoction. Let's just put it that way. Nice. Doesn't have the a gold, full, doesn't have a name, doesn't have a, probably will never see the light of day. Well, you can just call it the gold water. Because, I mean, Scotch already has a name, so you can just call whatever concoction you just whipped up the gold yeah, this water. Is the, the gold so, water Monday. The gold water. That's your concoction. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe you should post that recipe on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Drunkonomical, D-R-U-N-K-N-O-M-I-C-A-L. That's where you can find our page and see some of our witty posts and perhaps the new concoction, the gold water, perhaps the, the gold water. Yeah, the, the, Monday, the Monday variant. Yeah. Uh, you can also find the invitation <laughs> the to, our, to our Discord where <laughs> you can join in with other like-minded folks to <laughs> ask us questions, share how you're feeling and killing, have yes. a general chat, and of course, share any information and advice that is not financial. All of the above, memes, <laughs> not financial advice, questions, we're all welcome to it. It's a safe space, right? Isn't it? It's a it's a safe space. If you make a bad trade, whatever, just own up to it. I, oh yeah, I, no. I, I've if confessed. I'd known, if I'd known at this point, if I'd known where a few of the things I've bought into would be trading at right now yeah. or even three months ago, I would probably have held off on buying them until yeah, now. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to bring my dirty laundry there, but it's fun. It's fun talking about some of the stupid decisions you make, but it's also fun to talk about some of the big gambles that do that did end up paying off. So whatever, that's what it's there for. Mm-hmm. Uh, feel free to join the chat. Got a lot of options traders. I love it. I love talking about options. Love talking about different strategies, synthetics, calendars, whatever you want, whatever oh, yeah. you want to trade. I like them all. That's yeah, an interesting time in there. Yeah. Especially, especially in the last three months when you've been so gracious. It has been. But then again, I think that's because it's, I think it has something to do with the fact that I've been so gracious. I think so too. I but know. speaking of your graciousness, the VIX is at 
what is it, 2833? Yeah, very, very change. high. Uh, and it's because today wasn't even like that big of a down day. Today no. was just like down, recover, down, recover. And I think it pretty much closed around flat. Yeah, the worst I saw the day, uh, the worst I saw was markets were down or maybe th- the worst I saw was three quarters of a percent today. Yeah, it was down about 300 points at one point, which is about, yeah, three quarters of a percent, but it kept bouncing back up. Like it went, it went down at around lunchtime, it went back up down again and i think there were the two main catalysts for this were you know the elephant in the room is ukraine yeah Uh, it really doesn't help when the u.s moves its embassy out of the capital and into a different city like where was the city they said they moved it further west was it west yeah Yeah. (laughs) which is is very close to poland and i won't we won't discuss between the two of them there's some friction about which who really owns that city yeah the official response now in current world is well ukraine has it now yeah which i mean we'll see how long that stands but uh speaking of us recording on valentine's day which i think um, you're right aaron this would be the perfect day to have done mergers and acquisitions I know, but instead of when we, we did, did it, it last week you know because I, I remember i was re-listening to the episode and you're like mergers are like a marriage and then i forget what you said with it for acquisitions i don't remember exactly but yeah i was like dang that would have been that would have been perfect for this week but Either way, back to Ukraine and Russia. It seems like at least uh, who's the president of Ukraine that was like, it looks like we might be having a date with Russia on Wednesday, whether we want to or not. Yeah, so. that was um, Vladimir Zel- uh, Zelensky. Yeah, that he's guy. Only, he's only been he president said- since 2019, so he's he's quite fresh in office. Oh. But yeah, he, he did come wow. out today and say that for whatever reason – the Russian invasion was was planned for Wednesday. Yeah, so he was like, we have a date on Wednesday, but I don't know if I can make it because I might have some cocktail party that I need to go to. I mean, he, I guess he's not really saying that. He's just saying Russia might come over uninvited, but we don't know if they're going to be busy. So markets, obviously, they don't like news like that. They don't like geopolitical risk. So markets kind of experienced a little bit of a sell-off in a consolidation period. So now that I'm so I'm reading a little bit more about what they're saying about what he's apparently he was trying to tell a joke. Oh gosh. That's awful. What a true what a terrible joke. Quote, he was like, he was trying to be ironic and was reporting dates reported and was using a date reported by other press in other places. Wow. So he just pretty much validated something that somebody else said on the news on some news channel and then said, whoa, the guys, hold on. That was just a joke. You guys are taking everything too seriously. Come he then, on. I'm, I'm only, I'm only the president of Ukraine. You know, apparently like, he said, if anyone, if anyone else has any additional information about a 100% sure invasion, please contact yeah, us. That, so that still doesn't make it any better. In my it opinion, it, uh, it's still, kind of a weird untimely it is. it's a weird it's a weird thing to just blasely put out there in a in, a, in an interview or in any kind of press yeah junket. so i don't know this but if russia were to i guess kind of impose themselves impose their will onto ukraine i mean I'll, i think a lot of people are kind of speculating that geopolitical risk and they're thinking that there's going to be some sort of supply chain crunch in oil so oil today I think it crossed, I think today was the first day. I mean, it was the first time that I've seen it cross above 95. Yeah, in a while, at least. Yeah, well, since, since 2014, when the whole shale production thing and uh, just, you know, screw the profit margins in 2014, when, when when all that was going on, that was the first, that was, I think, the last time oil was at this level. I remember when oil was, when oil futures were coming in at negative $45 a barrel. Let's oh, yeah. That way. Uh, yeah, that was a little bit more recent. But yeah, in 20, like the last, this is the highest it's been since 2014 before, uh, uh, I think the U.S. and Canadian shale producers were, were like, we're trying to gain market share. So they just started producing all this oil. And they said, we don't care if we make a profit on it because we want to gain market share. Yeah. So 
before all that happened, um, oil was above this range. Now it's at 94.81, but today it was trading at above 95 for quite some time. And I think yeah. a lot of it is just probably a mixture of increased demand and a, a, a pretty steady supply, I would say. I'd say increased demand and a pretty steady supply of fear. And, and also of oil. Well, no. I, I don't think. Or do you think um, supply is going down, or is it going to at least the velocity I think, of supply? Is you know, go I think down. Basically some of the things I've read, I've been reading, is is a big thing with oil specifically is that they actually haven't been pumping as much out of the ground as they say they have been, and they've what? actually just been they've been consuming reserves that have been sitting. You know, so they've been consuming their what? their reservoirs instead of pumping fresh oil. Who is they? Is it like? The EU, or is it everybody? I, I think it's probably everyone. Um, I, I, producers, I should say. Producers oh. are selling oil they've already produced, not oil they're freshly extracting. So I guess a lot of it's just like, you know, they're worried um, about inventory turnover. Is that probably what it is, or no? Exactly. That, that's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, you got a bottle of rye that's been sitting there for half a year, and you got a brand new bottle of rye. You want to get that old rye I gotta get this, off my shelves. out of the bar, so you start making all your old-fashioned Manhattan with that. Just to get it out of the bar. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so, so you've got- I don't know, that's, though. That's kind of one thing that I've been looking at, which is to say production could still start back up tomorrow. I mean, or they could start pumping oil. It's not that they have stopped pumping oil. It's just they haven't been pumping it in the ways we've been expecting. Yeah, well, also, um, I don't think OPEC is necessarily acting appropriately. And it's not necessarily because I'm against the current production levels of oil right now. It's just- I think Saudi Arabia is still penny pinching from the effects of 2014 and the effects of COVID. So well, I think everyone is. I think I think Maybe. all the oil producers are sitting here looking at it, going, "Wow, that hurt. Yeah. That was really, really bad." Um, so I think they're trying to make some of their money back. Another one is it doesn't help that there are guys in the middle. There, the, there's the futures. There's the futures traders in between. So actually yeah. buying oil and then turning around and selling it. And so those guys can drive the price up very, very quickly just because yeah, I know. they control it. They're buying contracts and they're controlling it. But I know certain oil exchanges, certain, not oil, not oil exchanges, oil futures exchanges. Um, I don't know if the CME is like this, but I think the NYMEX is, I'm not sure, but the NYMEX, you don't actually have to, it's, it's all cash settlement. I think I'm not sure. I don't know that much about oil futures trading. Another thing too, that I was going to say too, is oil speculators, retail Oil futures traders, speculators, those people, as much as they can influence the oil prices and kind of turn things for the worse, the bright side of them being in the markets that they do provide a lot of liquidity. Well, so, they, I would say they, they provide in many cases a market smoothing effect, but yeah. I, st I still don't. I, I think there, there are some people who should be allowed to partake in oil futures contracts. Well, yeah. And I, I mean, if you are not conducting business on behalf of an actual consumer and therefore have no intention of taking actual Ownership. possession of the oil, you yeah. should not be allowed to enter well, the contract. Well, I think, I mean, so I, I hear what you're saying, but I also think it's nice that they provide liquidity. Maybe there should be a market out there and maybe that's what the NYMEX is, is they, it's a market for people that like to bet around oil and provide liquidity. But maybe they should come up with an instrument where it is purely cash settlement and it's not the same exact security. Because I think securities on the ICE and the NYMEX are the same exact thing. I, I mean, at this I point, we're just at this point we're I, just I really, agreeing that- Someone knows, please tell me. Because I, I, I really- th That financial markets on certain things are just a casino. Yeah, and exactly. And like on top of what I said, as with retail traders providing liquidity to the oil markets, it's a great thing, but- with all this extra liquidity that doesn't necessarily need to be there because they're not taking full ownership mm -hmm. of the actual underlying commodity. I mean, what does excess liquidity lead to all the time, 100% of the time? Excess volatility. And that's what we're seeing just yeah. in our regular capital markets right now because we have all this money pumped into the markets. 
you know, sorry, I went off on a tangent there, but yeah. you know, with excess liquidity, with retail traders speculating around oil and and oil derivatives, yeah, it's going to lead to more dramatic than normal upswings, and then of course more dramatic than normal downswings. Uh, yeah, no, I think you're right. Volatility. Yeah, no, so, I, could, I could see we're driving yeah. extra liquidity. And my view is just that essentially, when you have the, the thing that underpins the very basics of an industrialized economy, mm-hmm. you don't want volatility, and you shouldn't have people just sticking their noses in to make ten dollars a barrel yeah. purely because they can. Because because right. all it does is it hurts the it hurts the inevitable it hurts the eventual consumers. Yeah, and it, really the only thing that bothers me about retail traders speculating and this extra liquidity because i'm not i'm not inherently against it the only thing like i guess really my reluctancy for supporting it 100 of the way is just it's a very inelastic product it's something yeah. that influences economic activity big time it influences consumer uh sentiment, sentiment. yeah and all yeah. that kind of stuff so that's my big beef with it is because it's it's oil it's so inelastic everybody needs it it's in so yeah. many products well, it's also in an artificial market yeah, because of well, not really because of the speculation, but because of OPEC. I, you know, OPEC. I'm not a huge between, fan between of either. OPEC and then yeah, between OPEC and the consolidation of extraction. Yeah, it's it's not a it's not a free market. It's a very artificial one. So the laws of supply and demand don't work the way they are supposed yeah, to. Yeah, and it's also derivatives too. Which I don't help. Yeah, yeah, derivatives. I think they're more so a zero sum game than stocks. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah. With that said, we'll come back to this subject because I do want to talk about oil futures. Um, I also want to talk about the Federal Reserve because one of the things, one of the reasons oil might be reaching 95 bucks a barrel, some people say, is the effects of inflation. Inflation can definitely drive up oil prices as well. All prices, yep. Yeah, exactly. So, Yeah, it's going to drive up your energy ones. You, you, you hate to see it. You really don't want to see inflation start to infect your your energy, your um, housing, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. You don't want to see it there. You want to see it somewhere where it kind of can unwind itself very, very quickly. And places where you do not see that are real estate and energy. So it's uh, yeah. it's an interesting time to be alive. Let's put yeah, it that way. And inflation reports came in last, what was it, Thursday? So it was like pretty much right after, right after we, we released our episode. Yeah, 7.5%, not good. Well, they were um, still, are they still saying that only 3.5% of that is, um, is in energy and in real estate? Because that still means 4% right. of it. It's from right, still don't from, know what four percent of that is. Yeah, I know, but it's used cars now. I mean, it's I mean, gosh, those I mean, what seem else to be normalizing. It? Yeah, but but used cars are still pretty high. Travel is still pretty high. Food and housing are, are horrifying. Yeah. Rent was up four percent in the last year. Food, yeah. I think seven is that seven percent, seven and a half percent almost alone. Yeah, which is actually beneath the CPI data, right? Which is seven, you know, just shy of the actual overall average. But I mean, it's you know, cars are still high, transportation is still high. Obviously, oil prices being high, transportation is going to be high. So now we have the Federal Reserve. How many presidents in the FOMC committee are going to come out and issue a statement on the rate hike schedule? Like what? Yeah, like, well, they all have their own opinion, and they kind of want us to know what their opinion is. Well, nobody's asking though. Well, come remember, on. <laughs> like, well, you have to remember these guys who are talking. We know who the committee members are, and we know who the alternative members are of the FOMC. But we also huh. have the fact that every single Fed president, right? Because there, yeah. there are what twelve Fed, there are twelve banks. I think so. The main, the, I mean, the main two that I want to focus on is I think St. Louis is Bullard, St. Louis. Yeah. Uh, Mary C. Daly, who I think is in San Francisco. Yeah, there are twelve. That's it's okay. Each one of them. They're responsible for essentially talking about the economies within their bank districts. So, you mm-hmm. know, if you're the 12th Fed, if you're the president of the 12th Fed over in 
in San Francisco, you've got the entire West Coast. You've got Alaska and Hawaii. You've got, you know, Idaho. Yeah. You're not, when you make these statements, you're not just talking to the national audience and to Wall Street. You're talking to the people within your own bank zone, essentially. Yeah. So they're having to talk both up, down, left, right. So just kind of like when, yeah. when Powell's out there speaking on the news or testifying before Congress, he's talking to Congress. He's talking to Wall Street. He's talking to the public. He's telling, mm -hmm. he's sending, he's got messages he's got to send yeah. to everyone. Well, and the, the weird thing is like the furthest one West, you know, of all the Federal Reserve banks and their districts, the furthest one West, aside from San Francisco, is I think, I think either Kansas City it's or Dallas. Dallas. I don't is, know which one is. Dallas is a little further west, okay, I think. Okay, yeah. So on the longitudinal line. Yeah, yeah, it's Kansas I, City I in Missouri, not Kansas City, Kansas. Oh, okay, gotcha. So it's still, yeah. Okay, that, that would make it further east then. Um, but yeah, I mean, Dallas is the furthest west. So, you, I mean, you're talking like New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado. Like that's all west of Dallas, even, even though technically – Colorado is still in the Kansas City district. It is, yeah. So so technically the 11th um, Federal Reserve District, which is the Dallas district, is the northern half of Louisiana, the southern half of New Mexico, and all of Texas. Which is weird because, you know, the southern half of Louisiana is in the uh, it's the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. They're yeah. the ones that kind of look over that one. Which is, so, which is weirdly enough, so the southern they, half of Louisiana, the southern half of Mississippi, all of Alabama, Georgia, and Florida, and then the eastern two-thirds of Tennessee. Yeah, so I, how they came up with these districts and where they drew these borders, uh, you know, it's not like there's a river that runs through this, like an area. I have no idea how they came up with these. these yeah. Yeah, whatever. Um, you know, there's a little breakdown of the districts of the Federal Reserve and their regional banks. Mary C. Daly, the president of San Francisco, she came out and said, we need to be cautious of how quickly we're going to try and combat inflation, which I don't disagree yeah. with. You know, I, I disagree with her on a lot of things politically. This I don't disagree with. And mm -hmm. then there's the second person who his name is ironically James and his last name is ironically <laughs> Bullard. Um, he just said, no, let's, let's rate, let's. Like we, we got to aggressively yeah. attack inflation. But, uh, you know, do you want to know? Uh, here's my thing. If we're, if we're going to really talk about where inflation came from, it didn't come from $3,000 in stimulus paychecks to people. This inflation came from no, it didn't. free money for two years to banks and yeah. big businesses and from the Federal Reserve propping up mortgage-backed securities in the bond market Absolutely. with tens of billions of dollars in purchases yeah. every month. And I will say like the $3,000, it didn't help, but it, it was- It cause the problem. Yeah, but in the circumstance that- those $3,000 per person was given out, it helped the economy in in the mm -hmm. time that it was issued because of the pandemic and everything and no one was working on that kind of stuff. But as far as the securities goes, uh, the bond purchases that the Federal Reserve was making, they're buying all these bank bonds, uh, just pumping them up with cash, hoping that they would redistribute it out, but they really didn't. Of course they didn't. It just, why, why on earth would they? Yeah. I mean, they just really hedged their bets, uh, which, no, you, you know. If, if, if you'd think, you'd think- that if they were actually trying to do the common good, they would have learned something in 2008, which was if you just give banks money and you don't compel them to hand it out, they're not to, to you know give it to people to loan it out. One, they're not going to. Yeah. And two, if you give them money at the same time as you don't tell their regulators that they need to be allowed into slightly riskier positions, their regulars regulators are going to applaud them for not loaning it out. Yeah. Which brings me to the point of you should you just don't give them free money. Well, I you mean, just don't give them free. But money. the thing is, I mean, they're not giving them money. What they're doing is they're buying bonds for them. But now they're aggressively tapering, which I think is just as detrimental because now you're just now it's liquidity in, liquidity out fast. And that, we haven't even, what does that tapered, do? They're just, but here's the thing. Why is the, the government, neither the government nor the Federal Reserve should be your primary client? 
Of course, not, yeah. if your product has benefit, someone will buy it to hold it and make a profit off of it. If it's just a game of hot potato, there's no you're not you're not creating anything of economic you're not creating anything of real value. Yeah, but I don't I think these banks really had a choice. Like you know when. When they're expanding their balance sheet and buying bonds, well, like, see that. Like, see that's what begs to me the question of why did they need to buy eighty billion dollars in mortgage-backed securities a month? I know, and that's the reason why, why the housing. Part, I, mean, I mean, that's I mean, the reason it, why any member of the Federal Reserve, any member of their staff, any member of their their press team, anyone who hears this, it's affiliated with them and would like to comment. I'd love to hear the reason why housing, which was absolutely unaffected going into COVID, needed to be propped up and taken to all-time highs. I'd love to know. Well, I, in fact, I think, I'd love to know. I need that explained. Okay, well, so I'll say this, and I want to hear how you respond to this, but I think a lot of it had to do with, what's it called when they couldn't kick out their, when landlords couldn't kick out their- Yeah, so when there was an eviction moratorium? Yeah, the, mor- the, yeah, the moratorium, that, uh, and um, and on top of that- Well then, okay, so that's big, the case- well, And, and you, there was this, wasn't there also suspension of like, okay, if these guys can't pay their mortgages, you know, like here's the federal government, like they're buying their bonds so they can at least- Keep them solvent. Well, what the federal the government, pandemic. the big, so what the federal government did is they came in and but they, they were said, loans, weren't they? Well, they so. went in and they said we're going to go ahead and do a moratorium on mortgage payments and we'll pay you the interest. So the mortgage companies were kept whole; they were just put on a delay period, but they were being paid essentially the cost by the government while they were gone, just like student loans, same thing, student yeah. loans moratorium, but the interest will be paid by the federal government. To landlords, kind of, or, you know, when it comes to things like that, it's okay. The landlord, there were also tools for landlords to come in and apply for missed rent that they didn't receive. There were other programs for, to, to get this, essentially cities and counties and was to pay their rent. Even out of that, you can take the loss on your taxes as the landlord right. and, and come out ahead with a refundable credit. So it's, it's one of those things I look at where I'm like, well, well, a two by two by two hold the ground, right? So eight cubic, eight cubic yeah. units of, of oh, and you're showing yeah. up with, with 17 cubic units of fill. And it's like, well, guys, what, what are you doing? Of okay, course, yeah. of course you overfilled the hole and now there's a little yeah. little pile here. What did you think was going to happen? Right, right. I know. But so like, this is weird because you're like, I'm, I'm actually going to back. I'm actually going to take this out of the federal government on this one. Not because oh. I actually agree. Well, I don't, hold on, just chill. I, not because I actually agree with them, but just for the sake of argument, because I kind of want to hear your opinion. Fair. Not because I'm on their side whatsoever. Okay. So, you know, all you econoholics just, just know that much. But they had no idea what they were doing. And to be fair, nobody had any idea what they were doing you know because what? this is a pandemic. And that's, and that's about the only explanation that works. Okay, so there we go, right? So in all fairness for them, which I didn't agree with their spending, and I didn't agree with their accommodations to mortgage lenders and all those, and whatever, right, all those banks, I didn't agree with any of those economies. Not any, I, there were some that I agreed with. But yeah. the extent in which they accommodated them, I think it was, they were way too over-accommodating to them and not enough to the people. So there we go, we're on the same page there. Absolutely. Like they had no idea what they're doing. No one's seen anything like this. So I think what they did was they were like, you know, let's be over accommodated to them. And hopefully these businesses can be over accommodated to their customers, which, you know, that aspect can be debatable. And to their employees. I I think clearly what we've seen is that they're not going to do that. They have a fiduciary responsibility to shareholders to make them the most possible money. So they're not going to do that. On the side of the businesses, like what did the federal government buy from them? They bought bonds. So they knew this over accommodation. Maybe they needed to set aside a little bit of this because when it came to repayment, they needed to pay back these bonds with interest, which is actually what's happening now. Yeah. The, The taper. That's what it is. So now all these businesses that sold bonds to the Federal Reserve and their $9 trillion freaking balance sheet, which still like I'm still so upset about. 
but eighty billion a month will do that to you. <laughs> yeah. So now they're now all these businesses had to pay all that back. So I think maybe this pass through this, if quote unquote, if you will, trickle down didn't work. And I think it was the misjudgment of the federal government and the Federal Reserve. Because nobody knew what they were doing. Like the government so, didn't know, so, you know when they were going to, looking- the government had no idea when they were going to taper and the businesses had no idea when they were going to taper as well. So they kind of had just had this cash set aside. They probably bought bonds with. I, d- and- I doubt, I doubt they bought bonds with it. Here, here's, okay. here's what I'll say. When uh-huh. the federal, in 2020 and in 2021, both Trump and Biden administrations made very simple, politically ruthless calculations. What they said is we're not going to give people more money because they need it and they'll spend it and the economy will be fine. We'll uh-huh. make it easier for the wealthy to keep, we'll keep the, we'll keep the stock prices high. We'll keep inflating that market because that's where the wealthy, that's where their money is. They'll get angry and they'll stop yeah. donating to us. Yeah, Politicians. Let's, let's make sure their hedges sure their, their their are fine. We'll make sure the businesses yeah. are happy because, well, we've got to do that too. Cause they also donate to us, Yep. you know, and in the end, they set up a, a pretty problematic inflation that hurts who the poorest people. The, the sole sum benefit that any individual person in the lowest tax bracket alone mm-hmm. could have gotten from the federal government was what, $3,200? I yeah. guarantee they've spent more than that on the same products in the last two years because of inflation. Yeah, whereas no one, whereas 100%. none of the big guys who were given oodles of free money, just buckets of free money, they don't care. Hell, they've made record yeah. profits if you're Tyson, if you're, if you're any meat packer. Whoa. If you're any food producer, well, but it's not even. Yeah, I mean, it's tech. I mean, tech companies. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, maybe not Facebook. Like, okay, well, yeah. <laughs> well, but but that's Facebook's own doing because they saw that's all this true. cash come in and they were like, you know what, we're going to invest all this in the metaverse, and that's currently backfiring on them. Don't know if it's going to come around, but it's currently backfiring. We'll on see. Them. So yeah, we'll see. So yeah, I just thought it was pretty interesting. The markets really reacted to what Bullard said. Which oh, was yeah. we need to aggressively attack inflation. We're seeing a hundred basis point rate hike in the next. I think you said 180 days, so six months. So there's no meeting I, in Fe- well. There's a meeting in. Fe- they're not going to meet in February, so that's that's you know one yeah. month gone. So they're March. They're going to raise rates. Yeah, and after. we still have that bet going. So you know, remember 50 versus 25, which is you know the line was 25 and a half, right? So if they yeah. do 25, then uh, yeah, that just just saying, just it's just a bushmills. So you know, I'm pretty know, sure. I'm, I'm pretty you. sure. Yeah, I mean, bushmills won't kill you, right? We're not going to break, I mean, break want, the bank on this one. Okay, I just um, want to make sure that, like, you know, if you had to pay me a bushmills, like, I just want to no, we'll make sure okay. that we'll you're going to be, be right. okay. Oh, okay, we'll cool. Right. I just want to make sure. Good. Yeah, sounds good. No, right, cool. uh, no, I, I, here's the thing is, you know, I still think it's going to be 50 basis points. And I think it's just, it's going to be there because if well, they sit here and they try to do this by quarters, mm-hmm. okay, what do you think that's going to do? Like, do, they, quarters, do they really think that? Of course, seven times, like seven times this year. So, I mean, seven times, that's what, 175 basis points? A correction needs like, to occur. And you can either have, you can either have pre- pressure being ratcheted up slowly until suddenly, or you can just say, it's like taking a Band-Aid off. Very so you just quickly. want to rip the Band-Aid off right now. Yeah. That's what you're saying with a 50 yes. basis point rate hike and then yeah. potentially a 100 basis point rate hike in the next 180 days, which is exactly what Bullard says. I, I don't disagree with that. And, I, and, and, and my thing is, if they're going to sit, if, if the stock, first yeah. off, it is not the job of the Federal Reserve to keep the stock market high. Of course. Yeah, of course not. That's so not the job So every time the stock I mean, market starts to do poorly, everyone's like, oh, the Fed needs to get involved. My response is, no, it doesn't. No, no of course it doesn't. not. This is capitalism. No. You've all, you've all put yourself in a, you've put yourself in a position. Now you can either profit or lose. 
shoes, and I don't care which. Okay, as I, long as I, it's I legal. I understand that. I understand that. So, like, I know there are some goonies out there that are saying, you know, the Federal Reserve needs to prop markets up. Which I'm like, no, no, no. Stocks are allowed to go down That's, and need to be. Yeah, I don't want them to go down because I I'm long the markets. No, right. I don't want but, my, I don't want the stocks that I'm long on to go okay, down. Yeah, I don't. Okay, Any fine. Other stock I don't I'm want more than happy about <laughs> yeah. because I might want to buy it before it goes. Yeah, back exactly. Up. Yeah, I mean, I, I I would like another entry point into the thing is if, you know, if, if, market, if markets only go up. Well, we call that a Ponzi scheme, yeah. right? Like it's it, yeah, exactly. We call it eventually Ponzi. the but, bottom falls out of that. Yeah, but I think I think the people that, out there that are complaining with actually some sort of merit, I think they're not necessarily complaining about why is the Fed not propping the markets up. I think they're complaining about okay, why are we getting all these mixed signals from the Fed? Because we have Mary Daly saying, "Well, because you be you careful." Got, you got twelve different Fed chairs plus. Other members of the Fed. Yeah, so, so got, I, I get there's 12 different opinions if you're just looking at the head of all the districts of the Federal and Reserve And that's to say banks. nothing of when the Board of Governors, because there's right, also the yeah, Board of exactly. Governors that are there too. So you've got so the multiple F- different thoughts. So the FOMC, I think is just right now, everybody is leaning in to hear what they're trying to say. And they're taking a megaphone and they're screaming it into, their, in, into our ears. And then everybody's like, oh my God. I'm going to panic and react extravagantly to whatever you're saying, you know, whether it's for better or for worse. Thing. You have to know interest rates are going up this year. I understand at that. At some point. But I think what everybody's mixed up on is how fast are they going up and when, I mean, I guess how fast and when really is just the main question. Well, we know March. Have, let's put it this way. Look, I don't think they're going to go above 50 basis points. It's I don't possible think they that they could, but I don't think they will. I think they'll do 50 basis points either. to to start out hard and then they'll and then they'll either hit it again at 25 at the next meeting or they might wait and see what that does. I mean, people are placing bets already and they're going like, "Okay, they're pretty sure the next two meetings are 100% going to raise rates no matter what." Uh, and the third meeting last I saw was like 98%, but it could not be 100%. So, they're seeing at least rate hikes in the next three meetings, but we also don't know like we haven't seen a rate hike yet. So once it happens, like like who knows what's going to happen once that first rate, like, like if, if the housing market collapses, you think they're going to raise rates again in uh, in May? Why would the housing, no okay, so why would the housing market collapse? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not well, saying no, it that's, would. That's what I'm asking, but, It's like my question is like, so I guess, I guess my view is more of- Well, I'm just saying it's like for um, mortgage rates and, and or if, if the yield curve flattens for some reason, I don't think it will from no, rates rising. I think, I, think the, but, I think the yield curve will start to make more sense if yields rise. Yeah, I mean, the yield curve is flattening right now. I mean, it's because well, it's, it's 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 for, for the last two years, there's been no interest. <laughs> it's, it's basically, <laughs> of course, it's flat. Like, yeah. nothing, nothing, has, nothing has a, there's no coupon. Yeah, there's like, no I, coupon. I think they have to raise rates aggressively. I think the markets react negatively to that. And, and I'll be honest with you, if you didn't price this in, that's on you. Well, you know, uh, it, okay. It, I know people. I know it's going to hurt people, and I know it's callous to say this, but if you if couldn't you have afford, to, if you did, yeah. if you if you have exposure, you can get out now. You can get out while the markets are still up. Yeah, you don't but, have to stay. You know, what about people with four hundred one k? Is that like it's not self managed? only so the only so, people that are going to get hurt in four hundred one k is real is if you're retiring the next five. If you're retiring years, in the next but, five years, if you have a very short yeah. time horizon, if you have a long time horizon, the markets will be back. Maybe not to the highs they were at. Last in year, December. maybe the, the market well, yeah, will be, it reached, the market yeah, it maybe won't be 36,000. Maybe the market, you know, maybe the Dow will only be 32,000. Maybe it'll be where it is. But it also very you likely know, could be at 40,000 because maybe everybody reacts, be 40. maybe everybody reacts really positive and they're like, okay, yeah, you know what? This is good for financials. Maybe it is. I don't know if it will be, but maybe they'll be like, all right, you know, higher interest, good for financials, maybe Maybe good for energy. I don't well, that's know. Why, see, that's why the critical uh, thing is anyone who says I've lost so much money, and it's like, well, did you have you sold at a lower price than you bought at? Yeah. Well, no, I haven't. 
Well, you haven't lost anything. Though. Still arbitrary. It's, it's, yeah, but it's also not to say that like you shouldn't get out and look for a better opportunity. Yeah, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm but saying it's is also, but that's also up to you. Like, do you like when do you think this stock is going to bounce back, or do you see a better opportunity in so and so other stock or in so and so other and security? And if you're buying then, securities only because oh look at it, it's only gone up and everyone else is buying it, if that's the sole reason you're buying it and you get burned by that. Uh, you know, I'll be honest, you had it coming. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Um, it's just, if you buy stock just because you don't want to miss out on it, you're not playing very smart. No, so, you're, you're yeah. you know, the, you know, if you're, the, if you're not the, what is it they say about sub dogs? If you're not the first dog in the, in the team, the view never changes. But I was going to say, if you're, if you're chasing behind someone so close, you're not going to notice the cliff until they're already over it. Yeah. Well, it's kind of, yeah, it's the money ball saying, um, if the last, you know what happens to the last dog at the bull? He dies. Right. So they also they yeah. also point out the first guy through the wall is flooded. So. Yes. Yes. So Moneyball is also okay. Yeah, a, a great movie. But whatever. There's a lot of sayings, and they're all true. If you want to speculate around it, that's on you, man. That's yeah. You never know. Yeah. But it just but so this is this is a question that someone asked me at a bar, and I was like, God, this is such a great question. Uh-oh. We need to talk about this. I answered the question at the bar, but I want to answer it with all of you. As we're drinking together, uh, and it's mm-hmm. if oil prices rise and the U.S. still produces, and I looked this up, they produce about 19 million barrels of oil per day. If oil prices rise and they and the U.S. still produces 19 million barrels of oil per day, does that boost GDP? Yes, but also no. Yeah. Well, my answer was yes. When I was talking to this guy, I said yes, of course it does because we're pulling, you know, 19 million barrels of this thing that's worth. a barrel, now $80 a barrel, right? So each barrel that comes out now is adding to our GDP, but we have this cycle in economics. I I would just say from the economic perspective, we'd say that the nominal GDP increases because the increased price, but Mm -hmm. real GDP does not increase, right? Because we're not producing more oil. We're not producing more goods because of it. We're producing producing more money, more wealth, but that's because we have something that's just worth more. Yeah. Well, GDP Um, is like, so real GDP is really just adjusted for inflation, which if oil prices go up, I think- Yeah, adjusted to a base year. Yeah. And and what's the base? Is it still 1982? Kind of like- We could pick pick whatever year, but I think 1982 is kind of consistently the one that gets used a lot of time in the US. But that's changing now. I know they're trying to pull that forward because- I know. Wow. I thought it was- Oh, I thought that it's 1982 to 1984 because that's the the CPI base year, isn't it? Isn't that the CPI base year? Oh, let's see. Please tell the me I'm base not year idiot. currently 2017. Okay, I don't. I wish there was a camera on me right now because I want people to see my actual physical reaction. It makes sense. You can't <sighs> like 82 is way too long ago. You can't be using that as your base I, year for GDP purposes. No, I I understand that. I'm not upset that it's 2017. I'm upset with how wrong I am. Okay, I don't know. The, I, don't, I don't know. The, but yes, okay. Yeah. So for real GDP purposes, we now use the base year of 2017, <laughs> which means, like, for those of you that are wondering about the calculation, you take essentially whatever the GDP you calculate for a given year is, and you divide that by the deflator if it's a year after 2017, yeah. or you divide it by it's also a deflator, but because it'll be less than that, it becomes technically an inflator for all years preceding to raise those yeah. GDPs to the 2017 level. Yeah. Essentially, well, we just I mean, put every year's GDP on the same scale it's standing. Yeah, well, I, I think the easiest way to kind of pinpoint whether or not real GDP goes up is, did they pull 19 million barrels per day out of the ground? Or did they pull 20 million barrels per Absolutely. day out of the ground? That, that'll increase real GDP. Because that's an increase of, or did they, that's an increase of yeah. real GDP. Yeah, but also in context, so 2014, 2015, the U.S. was, was pulling about between 8 to 10 
million barrels per day out of the ground, I think was the average around 20. So this is like seven years ago. Which, yeah, starting how much the and oil, boy did the price uh, go from buck 25 down to like I said, yeah, 60. Remember, yeah, and that's what I was talking about in 2014. Remember, dude, remember like, in, about like seven, nine with months, the whole yeah. shale thing with in Canada and, oh, yeah. and the, yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's so, Look, you, you when you behave yeah, well, like they're just like the hundred and twenty four dollar thing. Yeah, they just said screw Saudi Arabia. That's pretty much what it was. That's what that's what happened in twenty fourteen. We want the market share. Well, the other thing was you had so many of these smaller shale companies that needed that need prices above fifty dollars to stay profitable or just to break even. Yeah, but they, they didn't seeing, care. Well, they were seeing one hundred and twenty five dollars, and they were like, "I can pump into this market and make a lot of money." Yeah, but the thing is, when it dropped, they still didn't. They still were producing just as much because they're like, "We want market share. We don't care if we lose money because we have cash." We don't care if we lose money in the near term. So they started doing all that, remember? And then and then Saudi Arabia oh, yeah. was like, all right, fine, we'll keep oil prices low. We'll we'll, we'll weed them out that way. So that's that, that's how that played out. I don't remember the end of that, but that's essentially how that played out. Um, but well, yes, it ended, so- it ended in about um, in early 2016 with prices at around thirty nine dollars, around forty dollars a barrel. Yeah, but it, I, I mean, it went back up. It went back up to the sixties and then back down, back up to sixties, you know, sixties. I think about the highest yeah. it got before COVID was in the eighties. Yeah, but it, I mean, and there were a few candle wicks that went up to the to the eighties, but I mean, yeah, but it's a whole looking as the, at just yeah. Whenever they went to the eighties, it was just like, all right, go back down. You know what I mean? Yeah, they hammered so, it back down. Yeah, so that's a little recap of the last seven years of oil. Uh, but yeah, I, I love this question. Because I, I think oil is such a good indicator of the economy. It's a fantastic metric. Yeah. Just because it's it's in transportation, it's in the supply chain. Like, how do how do I get my scotch here in Texas? It didn't walk. <laughs> I, believe me, I wish it did. But, you know, someone had to pay for the energy to transport it over to Texas, just like everything else that you have. So Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. Well, that's the thing with, with, um, with oil prices, that it brings you to this awesome point where when oil prices are low, that can stimulate an economy because everyone can afford to consume oil to produce whatever they're trying to produce. That yeah. increased consumption increases the price of oil, which, you know, as we go, the economy is still producing, people are buying, so... Oil yeah. goes up and eventually get to a point where oil is too expensive. The market can't afford it. Suddenly that decreases economic production. That drives down the cost of oil and you end up in this cycle where right. as, as oil prices decrease, you you might be about to see a resurgence. As yeah. oil prices increase, you make it more likely that you're going to see some sort of slowdown. Yeah, it's, it, to me, it's like this rotation of these three factors. It's economic activity, oil supply and demand, and then oil prices. And yeah. these three factors, so like economic activity leads to oil supply and demand, which leads to oil prices, which then leads to economic activity. Because if oil prices are too high, that's going to get baked into your price for the plane ticket. Oh, yeah. You know, so that, into, that's into why the cost of everything. Yeah, exactly. It, it, into the cost of your tires, into the cost of, into meat, into, I mean, gosh, I don't know. Oil is literally yeah. in everything. Oil touches so, everything in one way or another. Yeah. So that's why I think short answer to that question is yes. If the U.S. produces just as much oil and oil prices rise, yes, that will boost GDP. It might even boost real GDP by a little bit because I think it's not necessarily directly in correlation with the fact that oil prices are rising. I think it's a response to the fact that there was a lot of economic activity. Yeah, you might you might that, see it elsewhere. It won't be it won't be what causes that rise in GDP because obviously there hasn't been an increase in actual yeah. production, but it might. Oil prices rising, they're still producing their costs, all things being even, their costs being kept the same. Yeah. They have more money so they can expand, so they can consume more, which drives production yeah. elsewhere. So it's it's yeah. possible when we look at like the million different levers of the economy. Yeah. But 
But it, yeah, so I, I think it does boost GDP in that one sector, which is the energy sector. Like, I mean, do you think ExxonMobil's market cap is going to go up if oil prices rise? Of course it will. Yeah. You, but when oil you, prices go up, it passes through. Like, I mean, those fees, those prices are passed through prices. So if you're not paying more at the gas pump, I mean, you're paying more somewhere else. Whether yeah, no, it's, it's your it's, beer or whatever. Yeah, yeah, there's always theoretically a game when you when you see a sector doing well. There's always yeah. increasing GDP because there because the sector doesn't stand alone. It has yeah, it has neighbors. It has yeah, it's it has, leaning on other sectors. It has its suppliers. Yeah. So well, it's it, leading on their sectors to buy from yeah, their own sector. Yeah, to consume so. from them and then they yeah. expand to meet that increase or something yeah. like that. So. Well, and one last question uh, before we wrap up. Do you think the taper with the mortgage-backed securities, do you think that's going to shrink the housing market? So I don't... If it does, it won't be the big factor in terms of if the housing really? market shrinks. It'll be it'll be no factor at all, really. Wow. To me, I think it will. But I, uh, whether we see it this year or nah, two years from now, no, because the issues fa- facing the housing market are lack of supply. We'll see interest rate increases. People can't afford to borrow that kind of money. Yeah, but with the, but with MBS yeah. taper, don't you think the demand, you know, will kind of meet the equilibrium with the lack of supply? You, you don't think that that's all MB, you don't all, think that's all, all the Fed buying MBS did was pump liquidity into the mortgage markets by buying packages of mortgage-backed securities and taking them off the market so that banks didn't have to worry about them right, but what, increasing but, or decreasing in values because they I were all long-term yeah, yeah, I understand that. But guess, but what, what that also did for the banks is it, is it let them write new loans at a cheaper rate. Yeah, but, they, but, they, they're, they, but they're already being given a reason they have to raise their rate and there isn't enough stuff to buy. So there's decreased supply and it's more expensive to borrow money. Those are okay. going to damage. The, the, those will affect, I shouldn't say damage. Those will slow the housing market substantially more than just the Fed wow. telling banks- Oh yeah, and also we're not just going to let you write wow. you know, mortgages with your eyes closed. I'll be honest with you. I really think that uh, the shrinking of liquidity in the mortgage business, I think it's actually going to shrink the housing market. Not shrink the housing market, but I think it's it's going to bring housing. I think housing, housing is going to come down. It, yeah, I just gonna, don't think that's well, the main. Bring I, don't the think, I don't think that will be the big one. Well, I, yeah, I think rising interest rates will. I think that's yeah. what's that's what's going to bring the price of houses down. Yeah, but I think the MBS will also do. Now, it. If they start to if they start to unwind MBS, that would be a different story. Right. But that's not what they're talking but, about yet. But either way, it's liquidity out of mortgages. And speaking of liquidity out, um, I am literally, I'm not even kidding you. I 100% am out of liquor in my apartment. I can't believe I've actually, what? I can't believe in my time of living here, I'm out. But I just drank it all. Okay, folks. In this episode. This brings this brings my gracious ass to a very, very dark topic. Uh, oh, no. How dark? It's pretty dark, my man. Clearly... We need to tell you about our merch. We need to get Aaron a hoodie yeah. so that he could wear it on his way to the liquor store. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I thought I thought it was actually going to be dark, but um, you know, it's not no. as dark as I thought. So, no, 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 no. but we do have so, black uh, hoodies. We we do have hoodies in in black and uh, and, a, and in a slightly darker black. So yeah, at drunkenomics.myspreadshop.com, you can, or I'm sorry, at drunkenomics.myspreadshop.com. You can check out all our merch so you too can uh, look as good as Aaron when he goes to the liquor store to restock the bar. <laughs> and if you already it's have too much whiskey. swag, you already look too cool for school, check yep. us out at patreon.com slash drunkenomics where you can help us keep the lights on and the liquor cabinet stocked. Yeah, speaking of which, clearly, help me out. Clearly, um, Aaron has reached that point. I can't believe, I, you know, I should have planned ahead. I should have planned ahead like the Federal Reserve and bought more liquor before this week. But whatever. Oh, I was going to say... I, they didn't plan ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, I, that's what I'm saying. So I had my two shots before the mic was out. I had my drinks during the episode, and now I am 100% out. This is, I mean, this this is completely empty. All gone. Sad day. Yeah, I know. Look at this. I have a drop in Man. there. But yeah, check out our Discord, Instagram, Twitter, Meta, whatever it is. 
you know, interact with us. We love hearing from you guys. We love hearing your questions. Um, and from there, really, I just want to send you guys off by saying, you know, don't brag. Just say, fill and kill. Stay drunk and amical in the week ahead. And yeah. Hopefully we see you on the other side. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. Did we say chestnut checkers? <laughs>